We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. As always, I'm here with Jason Pat and Jason. We had one brief ray of sunshine in this Bulls second half that has been a lot of disaster. A 113-99 win over the Toronto Raptors. Patrick Williams came back. The Bulls finally got their transition offense going. This looked like the team we saw climb to the top of the Eastern Conference standings during the first half of the season. Then they had a back-to-back the next night at the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Bulls get ran over 126-98, a totally disheartening loss for the Bulls. They had it close in the first quarter. They actually had it close in the third quarter, too. There was a stretch in the middle of the third quarter, Jays, where they were only down 10 and then, like, Caruso missed two free throws in a row, and then, like, the game was over. Suddenly, the Bucks were up 30, and the the blowout was on. So, uh, we got Cody Westerland here from The Score, covered the Bulls for a long time, for 670. Does a great job uh, doing more than just tweeting out Jim Boylan's most outrageous quote. So, thank you, Cody, for joining us. Uh, Jace, I'll kick it over to you. How, how are you feeling about last night's game, and uh, where are you at right now? Yeah, I mean, obviously last night was terrible, and it was unfortunate because the Raptors game was great, and I know the Raptors were, like, really tired, second of a back-to-back, and the, the Bulls had the tables turned on them. Uh, Bulls arrested, Raptors retired, and then last night, Bucks arrested, Bulls retired, and we just kind of saw uh, the outcome. Infamously, now the Bulls are 0-16 against the top three teams in each conference. Absolute hilarious, comical, embarrassing stat. Amid a season that they're still 42-30, and 30, uh, it's just kind of setting in that they're obviously not quite as good as we hope. Lonzo Ball obviously is not back yet. We'll talk to Cody about that here. Uh, obviously, he's had some setbacks. Patrick Williams is back. My expectations, as I've said, have been low for him. He looked pretty good in the Raptors game. Didn't do much in the Bucks game. My, like I said, expectations low for him. But at this point, I think it's just kind of reality setting in that this team 
they were off to a great start. Maybe they got some breaks with, uh, I mean, they beat, they had some really nice ones at the start of the year and they had Caruso and ball and the defense was rocking. The offense was looking good. They fit, they did beat some teams missing some key guys, but they look great. But now I think just the season's starting to catch up to them. Uh, they can't beat good teams. Uh, they still don't have Lonzo back. The defense has fallen apart. DeMar is called falling back to earth. So it's, at this point, it's just kind of like it is what it is. So bringing in Cody here. First of all, again, welcome, Cody. Thanks you for joining us. Thanks for having me, boys. Yeah, so I guess just like going from that, what is your just outlook, general outlook on this team? Right? Because I know I, I asked you, we had a little convo on Twitter, a little back and forth. I think it was last week after, I can't remember which game it was. I was kind of melting down, uh, sky is falling type deal. And you were like, you know, you know what? They're uh, It was all basically like, oh, I think they might fall into the play-in. Like, I don't know how many more games they're going to win. And you're like, don't worry, they'll beat the Raptors and then I'll probably get them fine. They'll probably give them enough breathing room. And they did beat the Raptors that won them the tiebreaker uh, for that. And they're, I think, two losses ahead. So they're still in a pretty decent spot in terms of not falling to seven unless they completely collapse. But still, again, clearly a, after a terrible loss against the Bucks, where they get outclassed again. Just where is your head at with this team? Do you think they will hold on and, and make it and at least get in the top six? Uh, yeah. after just all this. Yeah, I understand the fans' frustration and worry about the play-in, but it, it felt like some of that was an overreaction to them like a week or two prior, thinking, oh, the Bulls could still, you know, grab the two or three seed with a strong finish. And I guess I probably just came to terms like as soon as they kind of took a little bit of nosedive out of the all-star break um, with that tough schedule, just a couple games in and seeing the injury outlook like, I feel like I came to grips a long time ago that the Bulls were going to get the four seed at best and probably more in that five seed range. So falling to the five seed range and being a game ahead of the Cavs or something um, on any given night, like that's just kind of where I thought they would end up. Still think that's probably where they're going to end up. I think the Bulls are better than the Raptors. They're better than the Cavs and they have one more against the Cavs to prove that and and clinch that tiebreaker too. um, If it comes to that. So I think, we're on a collision course here for the Bulls having to visit a really good team in the first round of the playoffs for game one and could well be the Celtics could be the 76ers, depending how hard they try down the stretch, I think. Um, and how often all their stars play and how much they care. We know on some nights, James, James Harden doesn't care. He usually cares against the poor teams in the NBA and not always the elite game elite teams. It seems like, but it's going to be a tough first round matchup for the Bulls, but I think they'll be fine and be out of the play in. And then it'll be about matchups. It'll be about um, how healthy Zach and his knee is. It'll be about whether DeMar DeRozan can, can play at that efficiency range of shooting 52, 55% in a game, or if he's shooting 40% in a game, if the bulls um, are to, to have a real push and chance in that first round series. So I guess to, to put it um, this way, I was never quite as high on the bulls as maybe somewhere at points of this season. And I'm, now I'm not quite as low on them. And I guess that's what happens at 82 games wind down at the end of the year. Um, water finds its level or, or whatever they love to say. Yeah. I want to talk about DeRozan a little bit because last night really rough start for him found his stroke in the second half still ended the game. I think with 21 points on 23 shots, you look at his stats month over month in March, he's averaging 24 points a game. Well, in February, he averaged 34 points a game. As we all know, the big difference is how teams are defending him. Every time DeMar is getting a ball screen, 
It's two on DeMar, trap the ball. The Bulls just have not been able to find a way to beat these traps since it's happened. This is a trend that goes back to like even a little bit before the All-Star break at this point. And then after the All-Star break, it's like, all right, everyone's copycatted that formula. They're seeing it every single game, and the Bulls still can't really figure out a way to beat these traps uh, when DeRozan gets two on them. So, you know, what do you think that what, – first of all, what do you think about how the Bulls have adjusted to these new defensive schemes they're seeing from teams? And is there any, like, sort of simple solution to figuring this out beyond, like, some guys make some three-point shots a little bit more often? Yeah, I I think that's – it's difficult, right, when Javante Green's been your starting power forward for most of the season because you look at a double-team situation, and, I mean, the prototype for that in the NBA is – Steph dumping the ball to Draymond Green and everyone wishes they had some sort of um, poor man's Draymond Green. Well, Javante Green can't make those plays. He stands in the corner. Um, Vooch the same way is he's he's a good passer in the fact that he can keep the ball moving, but he's not your traditional guy you're going to dump the ball to for a four-on-three situation either. So they don't have that player on the roster for long stretches. Pat Williams comes back. Maybe he can do a little bit of that, but a lot of times too. That hasn't been his role in the past as well. I honestly think the Bulls should experiment more, a little bit more with with guard screening for for DeMar DeRozan. It's something you've seen late in games early in the year. Like Billy Donovan loved to kind of run that pet play where like Zach and DeMar would screen or fake screen or DeMar would turn it down and go the other way early in the season. And sometimes it just led to like wide open Zach three-pointers, you know, where he didn't hardly do anything except hop back behind the three-point line. So maybe more creative stuff like that. Of course, the difficulty is Zach's knee health. And like, I, I don't think running, you know, 40 pick and rolls with a guard screening in a game is a, is a good thing ever. You know what I mean? Like Zach Levine, that would put a beating on his body sometimes. Same for Caruso. Um, so I think there's small things they can do there. But in a big picture, it's got to come down to, to making more open shots in the day to day or I guess play to play. Um, yeah, so I was going to say that I would like to see Caruso is the screener a little bit more often because you think like in the half court, you're probably the other team's probably going to put their uh, like weakest defender on Caruso because he's not a huge threat. I do think Caruso can be pretty good in short roll situations. We've seen guys sort of in his arch type like Bruce Brown, like Gary Payton, the second have success in those roles. Now, the other thing with Caruso, though, is that like he does not know how to play unless he's just throwing his body all over the place. Uh, we've seen him hit the deck hard a couple times since he's come back. So I'm a bit worried about just like the long term health of Caruso. I'm thrilled the Bulls have him for three more seasons on what's shaping up to be a very team friendly deal for him. But clearly, like when the Bulls don't have Caruso on the floor, they're a way, way, way different team now. His return hasn't immediately yielded the type of positive results the fan base was hoping for. But, you know, we saw in that Raptors game, they were able to, like, turn the Raptors over a little bit, get into their transition attack. So uh, to follow it up, I guess, just like, what do you think of Caruso since he's come back? How close do you think he is? To 100%. I know he's talked about the risk still being sore in the postgame media availability. And, uh, you know, where do you think he's at right now, generally? Yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty much himself defensively because I don't think the wrist is as big of a deal on that end for him, even when he is falling on the floor and taking charges or batting the ball away on from his knees like he did in the first few minutes against the Bucks the other night. But offensively, I don't think he's quite as efficient and, and trustworthy yet. Uh, just of that jump shot play to play at, at a high volume that 
he's not a high volume guy, but I mean, there's games where, where he's put up a lot more shots early in the season when called upon if, if the game circumstances dictate it. So um, I just think like Caruso, you're, you're not counting on him to like score 15 or 20 points in a playoff game anyway, even. So that's another reason, like kind of these tricks up Billy Donovan's sleeve, like make him a screener a lot is interesting because you can't do that for 82 games. I don't even think you can do it for a 12 game stretch in the regular season, but in a first round series, maybe you try to do it a lot more, but it's just asking a lot when you have to rely on someone like that so much on the offensive end, um, just what people are taking away. So I, I think you're seeing Caruso about as healthy as he's going to get or put another way. He will be at a health level entering the playoffs where it's not an excuse. You know what I mean? Because yeah. He'll be able to do everything he should be able to do defensively. And hopefully by then he finds a little bit more rhythm offensively and, and faith in that wrist. Yeah, was, there are times where we I think even yesterday's game where when he starts trying to do a little bit too much offensively and it's just like ter- bad turnovers. The shooting has definitely not really been there since he's come back for sure. So it is tough. I mean, we he's there to wreak havoc on defense and then do some of that hit open threes, do some of the playmaking offensively. But when he starts doing too much, it does start to get pretty ugly. In terms of the other, his other injured backcourt guy, Lonzo, uh, huge disaster, basically, it seems like, for Lonzo Ball. He was just recently, a couple days ago, shut down for 10 days because he's coming back from the meniscus injury, but it's really this bone bruise, correct, Cody, that's still bothering him from before the meniscus surgery, and he just like can't run without there being pain. Uh, just like, what is the dealer? At this point, I'm thinking he's just not coming back this season. There's just not much time left, especially with this break now, the shutdown, that for him to ramp up and then come back into playoff basketball just does not seem smart. Uh, are you on that? Are you getting that same feeling that he's just done for this season? Yeah. I mean, if you're, you need know, a one, one word answer, my answer is yes. I think that's most likely if I had to guess. Uh, certainly that's a guess. Billy Donovan hasn't gone there yet. The Bulls haven't framed or thought of it that way um, internally, at least those who who are holding out hope. Maybe the doctors have are thinking that and aren't don't have the heart to tell Billy yet or the coaching staff, <laughs> the team to rule them out yet. Uh, the only the only thing I see hope in um, regarding Lonzo's status right now um, on his knee is that Billy did mention kind of in passing. It wasn't exactly emphasizing, but he said that if he does get to the point where he can go full speed, he expects the return to be fairly quick to contact to more of a game setting uh, and such. Like we saw it with Alex Cruz. So he had one full contact practice with the wrist and then they put him in against the Cavs. And that's completely different when you're talking a a fractured wrist against a knee that had a meniscus repaired uh, in late January. But that was the one thing I thought that, that in that situation that the ramp up might be longer and Billy saying that made me think um, maybe it's not quite as long as you'd think. So that's the only reason for hope, but I would say the way it's trending, uh, it certainly seems like this. We know, I believe it's 2017. Um, did Lonzo have knee surgery on that too? It took a long time, I believe to recover from, um, or maybe it's 2018. Um, but, but it wasn't the, the quickest situation back then either for him. So he's not a guy that has a a history of bouncing back super quick from like a knee injury. And honestly, at six to eight week timetable that they initially announced was kind of odd when you look at it in retrospect, because they put a more just murky timetable on Caruso and he was fine in the normal amount of time you'd think. And then they put a hard deadline kind of on Lonzo and it's like, whoa, what's the setback now? 
Uh, is Lonzo Ball that important to the Bulls' success, Cody? Or are the Bulls right now having issues that not even the return of Lonzo Ball could solve? Can I ask you a follow-up <laughs> question? See what you sure. think? How many two-way players would you say the Bulls have on their team if your definition of a two-way player is above average defensively and above average offensively? Yeah, not many, my friend. Not many. I mean, zero. <laughs> certainly not Zach Levine. Certainly not Demar Derozan. Certainly not Kobe White. Maybe Vooch, but even Vooch is so limited in terms of how you can use him defensively to get the best results. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point. Lonzo Ball is one of the few yep. two-way players on the team. Uh, what they're missing is his ability to help them control the pace to help turn teams over and turn defense into offense. And really they're missing his volume three point shooting too, because the bulls have not had any high volume three point shooters outside of Kobe white and Zach Levine in the rotation. They've been last or second to last in the league and three point rate for basically the entire season. And Lonzo is one of the few guys where like there are games where he can get up six, seven, eight, nine, ten threes in a game. And the Bulls desperately need that. So I think it's a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you on that response. I think his absence is a huge deal. Honestly, I think it's probably a bigger deal than Caruso's. Um, Caruso's is just, I think sometimes we have more love for Caruso because of what he does on the defensive end. And that was such a pronounced problem without him. But just by way of, of two-way play, Lonzo is so important. And you mentioned the pace. I mean, early in the year, I haven't checked this stat lately, but early in the year, like the Bulls were at a league average pace in total. But the way they pushed the ball up the floor, they're actually pretty quick on offense and slowing the other team down on defense to get that pace kind of at a league average rate. And he might be the most important figure in that pace because of the way he pushes the ball ahead um, with his throw ahead passes. And then defensively, like it's just cutting guys off so many times. It's so subtle. We've seen it with Caruso now a few times too, where Caruso and Lonzo might be the only two guys on the team capable of like closing out on like one shooter or preventing them from shooting with the threat and then recovering to someone close. Those two guys can do it because of how smart they are, how quick they are. And in Lonzo's case, he's, he's pretty long too, um, can kind of cut off driving pass. Other guys can't do that enough because they might have the size or quickness, but they don't have both. And I think um, that's really important to this team. So a massive loss. And I don't think, I don't think the bulls can really replace what he does um, unless like Zach gets super hot from behind three point range. And, and you're saying that's the volume three point shooter, but that's a different type of three point shot in a different type of workload on Zach than, than I think what they'd prefer in some ways. I mean, that's even just like to the point of when they're doubling tomorrow, just having Lonzo out there instead of whoever. I mean, even like I know as an Illinois guy have loved what Io's brought, but I feel like he's hit a bit of a wall and we know he hesitates to shoot threes. So like, I mean, just put Lonzo in there instead of Io and that's just the three point volume goes way up. Uh, and just, yeah, the passing is obviously great. The the fast break. I mean, the Bulls were like arguably one of the most fun teams to watch in the NBA of the season because we had Lonzo looking to with the throw at passes. They were dunking all over people. Uh, and now they just like really haven't had that as much. They kind of brought it back against the Raptors, just kind of ran it all over them. And that was really nice to see, but you get Lonzo and Crusoe out there together. And if you, what if you have Pat there too, that's when the defense can really just force those turnovers, turn it, get it back the other way, get those easy baskets. Uh, but when the defense breaks down now, when you don't have a, Alonzo, and obviously when they didn't have both guys, 
they just give up too many points. It's hard on the other end too. Uh, and it's tough. So it's brutal. So I guess I, what is, what is, have you made of IO season? Just, I guess, since I brought him up, I know you're an Illinois guy as well. Yeah. Uh, I do think he did. He played well against the Raptors, but was awful against the Bucks. I think it was like a minus 35. Just didn't really do anything. He was bad on the West coast trip. He's played a ton of minutes this season. I had very low expectations for him coming into the season with Caruso and Lonzo missing so much time. Uh, he's playing, he was playing like 35, 40 minutes a night here as a starter. I kind of think he's just kind of run out of gas. Where are you on IO? Just his season in general, where he's at now and how much, I guess like even going further into the playoffs, I've been curious, the IO Kobe white thing, who's going to play there. Uh, so just tackle all that if you can. Yeah. I mean, I've been impressed by him. Uh, you say running out of gas. I don't think the running out of gas has as much to do with playing 38 minutes in some of those stretches as much as is. You go from playing 35 games in a year in college to yeah, playing right. close to close to 82 here. I mean, he's he surpassed the wildest expectations. I thought he would be way behind Kobe White in the rotation all year from a minutes perspective. Um, and he certainly surpassed him. And you just brought that up. Like even when the Bulls have gotten Caruso back here, um, I'd have to go back and look at the exact minutes against the, the Bucks, but against the Raptors in a game um, that clearly the Bulls had to play out to, to the end and, and win and such like that. Like Kobe, I think only played like what 13, 13 minutes or something like that. And Io still got his his low 20s there. So clearly Billy has more trust in Io right now than Kobe. Um now Kobe shooting on any given night can can change that. And I think there needs to be um just flexibility with with matchups and the, the rotation. Um if the Bulls need scoring and Kobe has it going. But like the tough part about Kobe, too, and you look at this in the playoffs, I mean, how many times this year has he had real rough first halves and then hit huge shots in the second half and helped win him games? But can you ride that out in the first half? If you have a he's having a dud of a first half against the Celtics in Boston, like what do you do if you're Billy Donovan? Like you're going to be down 18 or 20 points in the second half. You're not going to be down six points to the Pistons at the United Center. You know, it's not like two threes by him can change the course of the game. So. Billy's got some tough decisions to make. And right now it's pointing toward IO being um, the premier lead guard off the bench kind of. And I think that role suits him. Well, uh, we saw it against the Raptors when he gets out in transition and um, can get some layups. He, he's much more comfortable. That's where he is really good when you're putting the ball in his hands to initiate pick and rolls and set up and create for others. That's where um, he impressed for a long stretch, but you're just asking someone to do way, way too much as a rookie and your offense is going to be inefficient and you'd lose in the playoffs. So if, if he slots into that like seventh man role in the playoffs, um, I, I think Io can help him out there. And I, I think Kobe right now would fall behind um, unless something changes here down the stretch and on their matchups. Yeah. It's tough because I think obviously Kobe is what the second best shooter on the team, probably maybe third if Lonzo's hurt, but Kobe's a really good shooter and the bulls need shooting in this lineup. The DeMar-Kobe offensive combo has been pretty good for the Bulls most of the season when they've gone with DeMar in those bench units. Uh, To me, you know, when you're talking about teams trapping DeMar, having Kobe on the floor is like one way to sort of augment that because he gives you a little ball handling juice, but more than anything, he's able to get up threes with volume. But the bigger thing is that like... The point of a role player in the NBA is to complement the stars. And if your stars are Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and Vooch, you're going to need defensive guys on the floor because your stars are not good defensive players. And so the question is, where is Kobe's defense at 
And, you know, how much of an eyesore is it going to be? If you look at dunksandthrees.com, the set EPM, it has Kobe in the like 86th percentile in the league offensively. Very good offensive player. Defensively, he's like in the third percentile. He's like one of the worst defensive guards. So he's got to crawl himself out of that. And I felt like his defense was better earlier in the season. I do think both him and Io have sort of taken a bit of a step back. Uh, I agree with you on Io. I, I don't think it's anything more than just like we see it happen with rookies all the time. Just like the Pretty workload well. of games yeah. you have to do over a short period of time impacts you. Kobe, this is his third year. I really felt good about his defensive progression. You know, the first couple months he came back, but it does seem like he's regressing a little bit now. So, uh, you know, when we talk about two way guys, one of those guys potentially one day, maybe could be Patrick Williams. He hasn't really proven himself to be above average on either end of the court to this point in his young career. Of course, he hasn't really been on the floor all that much. Still one of the younger guys in the league, younger than a lot of this year's rookies. So Pat's back. I think he had seven points in the first game, six points in the second game. He's playing a shade under 20 minutes a night. Some enticing flashes once again. That's the story of Patrick Williams. He'll give you some flashes, but he's not going to – he hasn't yet proven – to give you the meat and potatoes two-way game that I think a lot of Bulls fans, I'll say I believe that he has it in him one day uh, to do, you know, consistently good work on both ends of the floor. Haven't seen it yet. So we got to ask about Pat. Where do you think Pat is health-wise? Where do you see him sort of slotting into this team as the stretch run comes in, are we going to see some Patrick Williams small ball five? We're going to ask more about the backup center, I'm sure, later. But uh, just like sort of where do you see Pat slotting in right now and where do you think he's at? I think he's feeling pretty good physically. I think, again, it's just a rhythm thing, um, and that takes time. We see it all the time um, in the NBA. It's why preseason basketball is often terrible and um, early in the season can can be much different looking from the middle of the season even. So uh, I think he'll be all right there health-wise. And you talk about, you know, he's flashed and it kind of makes me chuckle, Ricky, because like the other night against the Bucks, I actually thought when he came in the first stint, he was guarding Giannis. Like I I thought to myself and then I almost tweeted, but I didn't. I was like, man, you can see Pat's like his frame and his physicality cut Giannis off from going to the hoop like three times, I think, in the kind of latter half of the first quarter, just with his strength and like made Giannis reset his possession and just kind of got the bucks out of whack. And it's like going back to boiling days. You don't see that when Archie's guarding Giannis, you know what I mean? Like you don't see that these days, even when Javante's guarding Giannis, like he just puts that shoulder down and he's three to six feet into the lane, whatever the case may be. And then Giannis would just reset or the next possession. He'd use great footwork or some quickness and go dunk at the rim or get fouled or step out and hit a jumper. And I'm like, well, you know, he cut him off three times and then Giannis scored 10 points in the first quarter on perfect free throw shooting and, and perfect field goal shooting or whatever. So um, as always, that's the, that's the theory of, of uh, what Patrick Williams can be in practice right now. Uh, I do think at some point here late in the regular season or when the playoffs start, I think you got to move him in the starting rotation. Ooh, I, I don't think I run out there with Javante against the Celtics or if it's a different matchup. I mean, who knows? It could be the Bucks, Sixers, whatever. Um, a lot of things to sort out in the seating still. But I, I just think Patrick Williams is a better basketball player than Javante. I think it will help him as a young player to be in those big moments. 
And I think Javante can help dictate the pace still if they want to bring him off the bench with the second unit, maybe run a little bit more, fly around the floor. But like these teams, you play the Celtics and they go with someone like Al Horford, Robert Williams, like that's a big combo. Jason Tatum's a really big player um, and just sensational score. I think you need a little bit more size if you're going to match up with the Celtics. So I actually see him getting plugged in the starting lineup. At some point, I don't know when that'll be. I would think they'd try it before the end of the season so that the last few games is at least kind of um, replicating what they want to do in game one of the playoffs. But he's got he's he needs to be a good defender. Um, he needs to rebound better. Yeah, like you yeah. see it sometimes. He's got his rebounding numbers. I mean, last I checked early in the year and last year, like the rebounding percentage and stuff is not good enough. And he, again, has the ability to do it. It's it's about doing it a little bit more often on contested rebounds, I think. So uh, if he's fine on that end and then can play within the flow of the game on the offense, I don't know. Like, I kind of throw my hands up about Pat Williams on the offensive end still because everyone always wants him to shoot more, but then he hasn't had great shooting percentages at times or he forces one, and you don't want to do that in the playoffs. So that, to me, feels like it's a longer-term project, the offensive end playing with guys for like 80 games in a regular season. Who's shooting? Do we trust more in the playoffs, Javante's or Pat's? Because I'll be the first to say, I think it's Javante. I know if if Javante's in the corner completely set wide open. Yeah, people view view Javante as a non-shooter, but I mean, he's been about 38, 37 all year. Now he only takes them when he's wide open, but those are the only ones I want him to take. It's not like he should be shooting over a hard closeout, so... Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. Pat's going to have to prove he can threaten the defense at least a little bit. And if it's not going to be with this jump shot, and it, it will be sometimes. He'll make a handful of them. But, you know, the type of play he got hurt on was an aggressive attack of a closeout. And unfortunately, Mitchell Robinson made a dirty play and knocked him out for five months. So uh, I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see just how that affects him mentally, too, as he comes back. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that playoff setting would be big for, for him just mentally, too. If you're going to be a building block of the future, I, I think it's helpful for Pat to play 25 minutes in a playoff game rather than 15, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that is a good point, just the upside play. Like, I mean, Javante has been great role player this season, uh, a hidden gem from that trade last year. Way more upside, especially, I mean, where the Bulls are at now, it's like they're most likely going to lose the fir- in the first round. Get Pat the minutes, not Javante. Like, upside, get get Pat out there. And like, I mean, just this will, this will probably happen to both guys. And we talk about like, who would we trust more shooting? Like they do play the Celtics. I'm guessing Al Horford, Robert Williams is just going to roam off either of those guys and stand in the middle of the paint to block any drives. So like either way, it's probably a big problem. The Celtics defense has been ridiculous, but I feel like, I mean, Pat's jumper is really nice. Just that high arcer. It's very slow, obviously, but like it looks yeah. really nice when it goes high and he, he makes it a decent percentage. That's why, like, I, I, I want, I want him to definitely shoot. Like, I just don't want the record scratch stuff. Like, if he's open, he's got to shoot it. Just like, don't hesitate. If he's wide open, shoot it. The stuff, like, in terms of like him doing a bit more, like, off the dribble stuff. There was a play. Was it yesterday or two? The Raptors game where they like they had, they brought him off a screen and he dribbled into a three. Like, I don't mind them trying it, obviously, but like that's the kind of shot. Like, probably you don't want it, him to take in the playoffs. But uh, I do agree, d- definitely, just about that the upside stuff for sure. Yeah. And another thing with him is I think a next step of his development is he feels very much like a one pass obvious guy right now. I, I think as a rookie, basically had about the same amount of assists and turnovers. And they talk so much about his passing skills kind of when they drafted him. And I don't know, apparently he played 
point guard in high school, <laughs> right. which I, I have not seen as many of those signs as you would hope after they brag about that. But like he knows who the next guy is to, to swing the ball at the arc if someone cuts him off. But to create better opportunities for himself in the offense, he's going to have to read cutters or what's going to be open. And I don't think he's there yet. And I think that's huge for him moving into next year. For sure. Uh, any thoughts on DeRozan and Zach's defense post-All-Star break? I mean, you would think coming into the season, the issue with building a team around Zach and DeMar is on the defensive end. They were both so incredible offensively up until the All-Star break that uh, it was easy to overlook whatever defensive shortcomings they had. Also, having both Caruso and Ball on the floor at the same time, those guys could cover up a lot of shortcomings. I feel like a lot of the Bulls' issues post-All-Star break have been, you know, the stars defending poorly. I'll throw Kobe in there too. And then even a little bit uh, IO. And then, you know, Vooch, he's the sort of defender where he's not going to clean up anyone's mistakes, right? Like he can maybe do his assignment well and be big and stand in the right place. And, yeah, he, he had a really uh, nice block of Fred Van Vliet when the, during that run where he just, he, they like whatever funneled him to him. He was stayed with him and he packed him, but that, that was like the point, but he just, yeah, he's not like Rudy Gobert going all over the place, blocking shots. Yeah. I I'll respond to the Vooch thing real quick. And I think it ties to Zach and DeMar too. Like sometimes opposing teams get wide open threes or something. And I mean, you hear Stacey King say it a lot on the broadcast, like Vooch has got to step up or the, the big the man got to get out there. Like that is not fundamentally what the bulls have ever really wanted to do as a strategy, maybe more than for a few possessions. Uh, it's nothing that would be a good long-term health outlook of their defense in any way. Like it, to me, it's shocking. The bulls are like top 10 in the NBA, top eight in defensive rebounding rate. And Vooch is like, I mean, he might be 90% of that equation at times. It feels like um, he is so key to their defensive rebounding, which I thought would be a bigger weakness when they played small. And given that, that Zach and, and DeMar, I mean, they can get some boards with their size and athleticism, but they never box out like ever. Right. Those guys you've ever you've tweeted out. about that. You've tweeted and, about how it's a problem. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, it's elementary stuff where they, their guys right there and they look at him and they look away and they don't touch him and he runs around. Like it's just frustrating um, because you do see stars on other teams do box out better. Um, if you watch a lot of the NBA, at least box out better in big games when it matters. I'm not suggesting the whole regular season, but Vooch needs to be closer to the hoop and stay in that area for his defensive rebounding. They don't want to get him stretched out. They don't want him recovering from, from three point line to anywhere. So it's on the guards. And when it's not just Caruso and ball or IO or Kobe, it's on Zach and DeMar to be better And teams are getting them in these positions where they're not getting around screens or they're losing their guy off pin downs, curl screens, whatever the action is and not staying with it. And Zach and DeMar's ability to recover defensively is very limited. Like they're, they're both types of guys where like, if someone mans up one-on-one, like Zach, you man him up one-on-one, like he'll give you a good defensive possession, right? Like he knows that could be on a highlight reel. If it goes wrong, he knows that if he steps up and does his job in a one-on-one setting, that a lot of people are going to tweet about how good his defense was on the play. Like that's just where we're at now with Zach's defense. Cause it was so bad earlier in his career, but it is all the off the ball stuff coming off screens, navigating screens, recovering to help your teammates where he and DeMar both trail behind and like 
like Ricky said, I mean, Booch can't make up for mistakes. And one of the guys that can make up for mistakes is Alex Caruso. And he's back and another is Lonzo Ball. And he's probably not coming back. So there's just no margin for error there. So I don't see that getting fixed. I just don't know how it really gets fixed other than um, playing Caruso more minutes, you know, and just marginal improvement or if you can hide Zach or, or DeMar on some guys. Would right. Zach... Let- I would say, would Zach, do you think he was better in the beginning of the year? It felt like he was at least a little better, a bit more engaged with the off-ball stuff. And, like, do you think the knee is a problem in terms of him giving full effort? I know he's never been an off-ball, like, good off-ball defender. It's always been the problem, as you mentioned. Like, he's been decent on off-ball. has been a huge problem. Did you think he was at least a little better earlier in the year? And now it's just, like, totally gone off the yeah. rails because the injury yeah, I think part that, of it. I think that's fair. I mean... There's only, I mean, I, I felt like the Zach playing on the back-to-back was a good sign against the Raptors and Bucks. Him, him having the big second half against the the Raptors too, and going to the hoop in that in that game was a big deal. I felt like because it was a sign that he trusted his knee a little bit more. But no, I mean, two hundred million dollars, two hundred ten million dollars is probably waiting in this offseason. I I don't think he's going to dive into the first row of the stands and bang his knee like Alex Crusoe will in a regular season game at the United Center. I just, it's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? Um, so it's in the back of his mind. And the other thing too, is like, we always talk about stars resting on defense. Like Zach is going to have to do more on offense now too, especially as the playoffs near. And we've seen in this recent stretch against really good competition uh, and good defense. Like when they're taking tomorrow away, like, DeMar can't score 34 in a game like he was in February. They're going to need Zach to score 30 points in a game fairly efficiently. And he's got to do that offensively. And I do think he expends a lot of energy on offense um, for the Bulls. He just makes it look effortless because he's so athletic and he's in his prime and so young and so smooth and fluid with how he plays. But it's still a lot to go to the rim that many times. Um, And as he would, DeMar and Billy would tell you the other night too, taking a lot of contact, obviously. (laughs) And when they went against the Bucs, there's – Nothing that winds me up like the Bulls losing by 28 points and thinking four officiating calls affected the game in some sort of meaningful way. I, had, I, had to, I have to agree. The officiating was not great early yesterday, but it had no impact on the outcome of that game. They got, not the, they got their ass beat. <laughs> there will be a time where the officiating affects a two-point game and we can rightfully complain in Chicago. I don't think that was probably the right time. It was not. Well, I just hope that, uh, you know, Zach is ready to take 50K less than the max from Jerry Reinsdorf, because if Lucas is getting, Giolito. Giolito's getting squeezed, uh, Zach, get ready, buddy. It might be a small haircut from that max. Anything to give Jerry a little serotonin boost. I mean, it would be an all-timer if Zach put on a Giolito jersey and said, I donated 50000 to <laughs> Lucas Giolito. That would be amazing. That's a tweet right there, man. That's a tweet right there. So it's got to happen. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. I wanted to ask about Backup Center because Tristan Thompson. I feel like his play has only further emboldened my longstanding take that the buyout market is trash. If you're tying your hopes to the buyout market, you might as well tie two bricks on your feet and sink down (laughs) the bottom of the ocean. The buyout market's not saving anyone ever, unless it's Bison Dele coming to, did they trade for Bison Dele back in the day? Uh, Or was he a buyout guy? Anyways, he was a late season addition. RIP, prayers up for our boy. But Tristan sucks. He's fucking terrible. (laughs) And Tony Bradley is also not any good. I'm begging for them to go small ball DJJ at the backup five because while he has obvious limitations playing him in center, first of all, he can't space the floor. So if you're going to have him out there on the floor, like what he does give you, his role offensively can't be like spot up catch and shoot because no one is going to respect him. We talked about... Javante not being respected. I trust Javante on a wide open catch and shoot three way more than I trust Derek Jones. But Derek Jones does give you, he gave you a little bit as a short role playmaker earlier this year. Obviously he's long. He's very athletic. And more than anything, it's like, all right, Tristan is big for the sake of being big, right? Like, he's basically just like backpedaling into his own death against Giannis. Giannis put him in the basket yesterday. Ugly. (laughs) At least when it's Jones, he can dictate the terms of the game a little bit more. And yeah, you might get crushed because he doesn't have the necessary beef that you need inside to compete with the true big boys. But, you know, the Bulls are still leading the league in points per possession in transition. Problem is they don't get out in transition very often. Maybe having Derek Jones blitz ball handlers which we really haven't seen a ton of this year in Billy's defensive schemes is a way to sort of get that going a little bit. Uh, Thoughts on the backup center situation facing the bulls down the stretch run. And if Derek Jones can and will play a factor into it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a fair question and honestly, I I should jot it down to ask Billy here as the regular season winds down a little bit too. um, Just if that has been shelved forever, Uh, I think I think some of this ties to the addition of Tristan Thompson and what they think he means, even though he probably doesn't mean it. And by that, I mean championship experience, that veteran presence. Ooh, he can call out plays like Alex Caruso. Most of the time, he's not calling out. They say he doesn't ever stop talking, Ricky. I'll give you that. But unlike Alex Crusoe, he's always pointing out what went wrong after the fact. He's not pointing out what's coming and how to prevent it. Right. So that to me has been a little overblown. I'm kind of with you. He was fun for like free media sessions. And now it's just like, I don't know what he's providing in great value. I, I do think there are matchups 
where um, you could be able to use them. I, I think against Giannis, now that Pat's back, it's not as big of a deal, I guess. But he can be used on Giannis a little bit when Giannis isn't dunking Tristan into the hoop as well <laughs> as the basketball. Um, he, he gives a little bit better type of player to defend that. But I, you got to remember, I mean, he's still repped by clutch too, isn't he, Ricky? Like he's yeah. still that connection. Um, Zach Levine's in the clutch company now. The Bulls front office wants to um, have good relationships with people like that in the league. They want to say, look at Tristan Thompson. He's a guy a lot of people in the NBA like, and uh, he's a pop culture icon too, and all this stuff. Like, look, he came to Chicago and like he didn't get mad and go out in the huff. And part of the reason that didn't happen was because we were playing him 12 minutes a game. I don't think that's going to be the reason they do or don't play him in a playoff setting, but I think it might be the reason why they're giving him a longer leash at the start to see how it all goes and keeping him in there on a regular basis. And I mean, they even tried two bigs for one night. That was absolutely disastrous. They pretty much stopped doing that for the most part um, with, with Tristan and in that type of setting. So I'm with you. Um, I just think the answer to this is Vooch playing more minutes in the playoffs and then, Billy probably still rolling out Tristan Thompson for like eight to 10 minutes a game is, is how I would guess, but we should ask him. It's not a bad idea. I just, I think the bulls would get hammered on the boards and on defense with, with Derek Jones jr. There, but the goal, right? Like you said, the goal is to kind of switch up the pace for three or four minutes at a time and get out and get a couple transition buckets and maybe have the bench go plus two or even instead of minus six in that stretch. So who knows? It's interesting. Yeah, I am curious, like what they did promise him, and for, they gave him a little more than like the, they didn't give him the minimum. They used the biannual on him, like clearly. It's, and the clutch thing is a decent point. So I do wonder if there were some like promises made to him, like, "Hey, man, you're going to be our backup center. Like you are. That's like you're, you're going to be, and we're like you're going to get those minutes. And like that's it. I, it definitely is something to consider because I was definitely calling for not that it would have mattered last night. They they got their ass beat last night, but like there was even like in the fourth quarter, late third maybe, like they were like, oh. Talking about, oh, they're like they're playing this small lineup and they're going to play fast and try to like chip. And they said, but they still had Tristan Thompson out there. It's like maybe you cool. even tried Derek Jones out there as the backup center. Like maybe why not? Like you're. I mean, Pat slow. Williams might like Ricky brought up earlier. Pat yeah. Williams might be the one they're more willing to do yeah. in that situation than Derek Jones Jr. Who it's he's he's kind of had a wild ride this season, right? Because he was he was like in Billy's doghouse kind of early on. Yeah. Like Billy, like wasn't he was. He was talking about every single player on the roster. Like you ask him about Tony Bradley and you give a four minute answer and you ask about Derek Jones Jr. in preseason and you give like a 12 second answer. It's like, well, that's kind of weird, you know, stuff like that. Earned his way in kind of with the small ball stuff. Early season West Coast road trip was was really good at the end of that and everything. Had the finger injury, thought he was going to be out longer, came back. They praised him for his toughness. And then um, as soon as Pat's back, it, it seems like he's probably going to be out of the rotation. Weird year. Yeah, very strange. Uh, speaking of just Billy, real question. I've been getting a few fans in my mentions lately, and I'm sure you maybe have as well. It's kind of starting to turn on Billy a bit, especially just for like the 0-16 against the good t- elite teams. How much of that record do you put on coaching, shitty luck, obviously just the stars and the flawed, uh, their flawed nature of their games? Uh, how much of this do you put? would you put on Billy? We start, some fans are starting to turn. I honestly can't say that it's – on him, but 0-16 against these good teams is crazy. Usually you at least get lucky on some nights. Uh, I would say some of it is unlucky too, but like, uh, I, I have a hard time being against Billy here, but I mean, maybe it's to a degree. I don't know. I, I don't put 0-16 against the top teams on Billy all that much because like, say they were 6-10 and, and then, um, you know, coughed up six 
games against real bad teams yeah. that they've otherwise taken care of this year. Like I'm more of a bottom line guy at the end. I'm not going to take a segment out of it. So um, I, I think there's some fair criticism at times where he's been slow to adjust in games or unwilling um, at times. And a lot of times it has to do with defensive stuff too. And I mean, again, I mentioned like Stacy King points out on the broadcast sometimes, and he is really good at insight um, and everyone can view the game differently too. And, and he's smarter and X and O's than, than I am, but Billy can be a little bit um, stubborn. I think at times um, just in some of his schemes, when he chooses something continuing to go with it. But the hard part is like when something's failing, right? Like clearly the Bulls defensive personnel, isn't that good. Um, when Lonzo's out and when Caruso's out for a long stretch, like I, I don't think there's anything Billy could have done to, to make the Bulls much better defensively in the rut they were on with the personnel they had. Like I, maybe someone out there that's a longtime coach and X's and O's genius has something, but I don't see anything. Um, so I judge him more um, when they're kind of full strength. And then um, to me, the DeMar DeRozan thing has worked out this year. Like if you're going to say, did it work out or not? He's probably going to get third team, all NBA, you know, maybe second team, all NBA votes, something like that. Like it worked out. And I think Billy's a big reason to, to help make that work out. Um, by everything they've run, by he, how he helped him mesh with Zach. So I think there are some shortcomings in Billy. He he got criticized in Oklahoma City. I think they lost playoff series to what the Blazers and Jazz in kind of ugly fashion when he was there with the Thunder, where they had teams that, um, if they weren't better, should have at least given a better effort in the series from how it turned out. And some of that was tied to his X's and O's. Obviously lost to the Warriors first year in Oklahoma City with with KD in Russ there when they had a good chance to advance the finals. But uh, I think he nails the human interaction part um, with pretty much every level of the organization. I think that's really important. So um, for the most part, I guess I would give Billy a, a thumbs up on everything and more minor critiques on game to game stuff. But in the playoffs, like we've been in the city long enough to like watch the Cubs in the playoffs and like every reliever Joe Madden pulled out of the pen for four or five years got debated to be all end all like Billy's decisions in the playoffs when they lose by four points in Boston are probably going to get widely criticized. And I would just say that option two probably would have ended up with the same result of the Bulls getting beat on defense um, is what I would suggest. Yeah. I would like to see a little bit more creativity from him offensively. I mean, they're I think second or third in the league in pick and roll frequency, basically their entire scheme has just been like letting Zach and DeMar cook and it's good. I, I agree with everything you said about uh, how he's nailed the human element. And I think on the season, absolutely thumbs up Billy Donovan deserves coach of the year consideration, even if he probably won't win it. Uh, but I also don't think it's too much to ask for him, like being a little bit more creative in terms of how to get Zach Levine going off the ball and uh, trying to figure out a way to beat these traps, which have been murdering the team for <laughs> 15 games in a row. Uh, so I feel it myself a little bit, and maybe I'm being ridiculous on this and I'm overreacting to the Bulls being stuck in a rut, but I would like to see a little bit more tactical creativity out of Billy Donovan. Now, like the simplicity of some of what he does, and I'm not saying it's all like super simple stuff. I think Steph knows talked about how, you know, Donovan has run some pretty interesting sets throughout this year. Uh, But I want to see a little bit more. That's just me. I don't know. Yeah. And there's, there's something there. You're, you're left wanting more sometimes with the opportunity Vooch gets or how and when 
and he gets those opportunities um, in any given game. And I don't know what that exact answer is either, because sometimes Vooch likes to operate out of that high post, but DeMar not being a three-point shooter needs to operate out of that area too a lot of times. And to your point, again, that might signal a lack of creativity and getting some space for Vooch when sometimes too, you know, Vooch was at his best in the pick and roll with Io um, for some stretches when, when he got hot and um, his field goal percentage started going up there a little bit more a month and a half ago um, or so. So I think that might be an area to explore. I, again, I just, all these answers, um, you can give them a whirl. I, I think there's situations in games where they'll work for a stretch, but then you probably got to go back to your bread and butter more and then find a new creative path to throw the team off, right? Like it's never ending to beat these top defenses when you're, you're going to be an underdog really for the bulls. It's going to be tough. So I guess taking here, we wrap up here a few more questions. Just where do you, th- where do you see the season going? They got what, what we got 12 games or 10 games left, right? How many wins do they end up with? What happens in the playoffs? 42 and 30 right now. Pretty easy stretch coming up, right? Pelicans, Theoretically. Cavs, Knicks, Wizards, those winnable games, fair, fair games down the stretch. I mean, this team should, be able to get to 47 wins right if they can split late that is my hope um i think that would mark a good season for them and i think that would probably get them the number five seed um in the playoffs so where do i see the season going um i think it would be fun to watch the bulls play in boston again i'm a little worried just in the sense of i think the 76 ers might slip down to to the four seed maybe just with the way um the celtics are playing so well lately and just some of I mean, the 76ers are really good. They just don't have the rhythm right now of other teams. So they're a little more helter-skelter from game to game. So uh, I see this probably going into a first-round series in Boston or Philadelphia um, and the Bulls being pretty big underdogs just in the sense of people picking whether they can win the series and probably the series, I would guess. Um, I don't know. I can, Should I be generous and say they'll lose in six games in the first round, even though the way they're playing lately – um, definitely suggests a five-game exit in the first round. I, I think this team's good enough to be competitive and get a game in the first round, but um, I, there's the way they're trending, no. It, it's a first-round exit. Right yeah, now. I feel yeah. A, gen- a gentleman sweep seems about right right now. I just, those those teams ahead of them, they're just, their role, I mean, the Sixers, they've never beaten Embiid. The Celtics have been the best team in the NBA for like three months. Uh, the Bucks, <laughs> we just saw what happened last night. They have Giannis defending champs, and they did that without Chris Middleton. Uh, the Heat probably won't fall down, but the Heat have also owned the Bulls. I mean, all these teams have owned the Bulls. So, like, it's just like in the playoffs when the flaws, and we talk about the two-way players, Bulls don't have many, where the flaws really come to the forefront. It is, like, the way they're trending, at least, especially if Lonzo does not come back or if he does and he's just not much of anything. It is just hard to see them winning more than one game. If they can at least, if they'd get gentlemen swept, but they like keep it most competitive. I can, I can deal with that. If they get to 47 or 48 wins. I mean, we do have to, we do ultimately have to remember that this team has been dog shit for the last four years that coming into this season, we were hoping like that they could win into low, low to mid forties. The big start kind of adjusted our expectations. Like I said, you never got quite as high as we did. We were drinking the Kool-Aid and talking ourselves into them being a contender They've come back to earth, clearly not. So we have to adjust back down again. If they 47-48 wins and at least a competitive first-round series, stay in the tax top six and whatever. If you lose yeah. to Boston, you lose to those teams, you can live with that. And then you just figure out how to get better. That's a whole nother conversation. I, I can't be a hypocrite. Early in the season when they were cruising before those injuries set in, 
I said a lot of the things you're doing is the hallmark of contending teams. So I basically okay. said, for the record, for the record, <laughs> I did say similar things. Maybe not putting them in my top championship tier by any means whatsoever at any time. <laughs> but I mean, they, a lot of this comes back to turnovers too. Like, I mean, against the Raptors, they won the turnover battle, I think 14 to six, got in transition. And that's what they were doing early in the year. Taking care of the ball. turnovers. Yeah. yeah. And they just haven't done that as much. So that's a lot of it. And I, I think they should be rooting to face the Celtics in the first round. I just think that's the best matchup that's probably um, capable of, of happening for the Bulls. Because again, I, I think. Alex Caruso, I, I don't know exactly what the matchups, but between him and Pat Williams, um, I, I think you got, got at least a couple physical profiles and defenders to throw it at Tatum and Brown in some um, form or fashion uh, against the Celtics. Uh, do you expect a big offseason move for the Bulls? I guess another way to put this is like percent chance Vooch is on the team next year. Not that I think that Vooch is like the reason that the Bulls have struggled, but you know, you're probably, if you're going to move one of him, DeMar or Zach, he's probably the most likely of the three to be moved. And he's on an expiring deal. I appreciate Vooch. I'm not a Vooch hater, but you know, do do you think there's a big move for this front office in the off season or too early to say? It's a really good question that I have thought about. And the Bulls not doing anything at the trade deadline actually makes me think it's a little more likely, right? Like this is a team that came in or a management group that came in, didn't really do anything whatsoever at all besides sign Garrett Temple for a year and assess the team. And then they two thirds of the season, whatever trade deadline rolls around in year one of, of the AK Mark Eversley um, regime. And they blow everything up at the trade deadline. Right. And then, have their plan in the summer with Caruso and Ball and DeRozan being added. Um, it kind of feels like, in a way, once again, they had a chance at the trade deadline. And if they'd wanted to do something, you know, make a really strong offer for like a Jeremy Grant or something um, and, and try to make a push, they didn't do anything. And it's hard for me in many ways. It, they don't have a ton they can do salary cap wise, obviously, right. but we've already seen. The move isn't who's the best free agent available right there that you're going to put $20 million player into your $20 million slot. They're going to sign and trade trade. their butt off. You know, like that's what they're going to try to do. Hard to project who that could be. I could certainly see them um, getting back in the Jeremy Grant sweepstakes a little bit. I think if Donovan Mitchell says that Rudy Gobert has got to get um, traded out of Utah, he's done. He goes to D Wade and he goes D Wade. And whatever Danny Ainge and whoever this Ryan Smith, the owner is, and says it's me or Rudy, and they're going to pick Donovan and says you got to trade him. I would certainly expect the Bulls to be on the phone, seeing how they could try to make that um, trade. I don't know that they have the best offer, certainly in the NBA, that could be um, presented. So I, I still think like a move of that scale is probably anytime you're talking about a huge move, right, of a single player, it's less likely to happen because these guys call about 10 great players and maybe one of them comes to fruition. So um, any individual player is probably um, thumbs down on, you know, saying whether they'd acquire them. But I think there'll be some sort of shakeup that you say is like significant and like that guy's going to really help change the makeup of this team. And I I don't know who might be going out. I don't know um, exactly what that will mean. But as we see who's available on the trade market and what money's doing in free agency um, and get closer to the draft, I think you figure those things out. Because, I mean, 
what the other thing, the Bulls still have their their the first round draft pick too from the uh, the Trailblazers, right? To trade, so like that's still a trade chip um, as well that they could use heading into draft night and everything. Yeah, and I'm assuming Kobe. I mean, you package if anything, you're looking for a big trade. I mean, if Rudy Gobert was somewhat on the market, what would the it'd probably be what Pat? I yeah, mean, Hooch for salary, Kobe yeah. throwing, and then you got the Portland pick, and then you'd probably have to trade that pick way down the line. Yeah, uh, I mean, Gobert were all, all his flaws. Like teams, will, I'm I'm sure would put pretty huge offers on the table. That solves the Zach and Demar defense right. problem. Yeah, yeah. Right I mean, if you're layup, your starting lineup is Zach, Lonzo, Demar, Gobert, and I get what Caruso. I mean, there's your. De- I mean, that's a decent offense yeah. defense mix, but that's Until- necessarily. Probably you know, a pipe dream. Status until here. the perimeter defense needs to hold up when teams go small against Gobert in the playoffs, and Gobert's out guarding a corner shooter, and then you know <laughs> Rick, the Ricky defense breaks down, and this is what happened to the Jazz. Happens to the Jazz often, you know. With Rick, Ricky, defense. not a fan after leading the podcast off with the Bulls, got to get defensive players around Zach and Demar. What two time defensive player of the year, three time defensive player of the year, something not the answer. Yeah. No, I, I love the idea. I do love the idea. When you said his name, I was immediately like, that is a perfect name for us to daydream about because yeah. it's somewhat realistic. You already laid out the scenario. And yeah, he it would be a, a massive benefit for the Bulls. So yeah, I mean the Bulls then, would, like regular season wise, yeah, the Bulls would be that's probably like a 55-ish win team with like I love like it. That. Yeah. And and then the future problem of how um do you fit Jokic on the roster right. one year later, you just yeah. push that can down the road and figure it out later. I mean Jokic could play the four. No, basically. <laughs> no, here's what happens. You you trade for Gobert and then uh Jokic it sounds like Jokic might sign a supermax. He'll do that, and then a year or two, once the uh, the Nuggets fall apart, you trade Gobert to the to the Nuggets for Jokic, and there you go. There you go. Stars get where they want in today's NBA, yeah. so never rule anything out. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Ricky, do you have anything else? I got one more thing here. I don't. All right, Cody. I do want to talk briefly here to wrap up about the fighting Illini or fighting Illini. Uh, I was obviously this season was kind of crazy. They win the Big Ten despite all their crazy shit happening. Uh, with Curbelo, with Kofi missing a few games to start, some bad injuries. They should have lost to what, the Mox, Chattanooga, Trello and Chattanooga Mox. Uh, barely win thief, thievery of that game. And then they get their ass beat by Houston, which I kind of expected, but still very disappointing that they got their ass beat for the most part. Uh, so you, no Sweet 16 still till 2005. No Sweet 16s despite Kofi and Io being here. Uh, how like disappointed were you with how this season ended? And like, are you are you still like all good on Underwood and like where this program is heading? And uh, just I'm like I've, I I still am. I think there's still should be good. We'll see if Kofi comes back. I guess. But uh, where's your head? Where's your head with Illinois? Because it was, I, it was obviously tough watching them in these tournament. So the ending so the ending was atrocious. Underwood has some X's and O's problems too. I think. Um, obviously we were talking about Billy Donovan earlier, kind of in these biggest moments when you're just looking in the setting of 40 minutes, 48 minutes, like they can get exposed sometimes. I'm all in on Underwood as like program leader, as recruiter, as guy going to go in the transfer portal and make sure everything's still okay. I love the direction of the program. I mean, some people don't seem to care about regular season, big 10 titles. Like I was stoked, man. Like (laughs) the the big 10 titles that these people get all excited about. I thought winning the big 10 tournament or excuse me, when the regular season this year was a bigger deal than when the big 10 tournament the year prior, which we can get into the debate about who was a regular season champion um, (laughs) with the big 10's weird rules and stipulations. But like 
I thought like that's a huge deal and shows the state of your program that look, the big, big 10 obviously wasn't the best conference in the nation where I think we're kind of figuring out the NCAA tournament if we didn't know already, but it, it was good. It was solid. And you came out like I'm all in on Underwood still. I think he just needs some of these deficiencies that get uh, exposed in big games, I think for the Illini um, and some of the lack of flexibility that this team had where just dump it down to Kofi um, sometimes like playing through him and relying on spot up shooting and three point shooting so much. The Illini got beat by Houston because Houston slashed their way to like 12 to eight feet from the hoop and threw in a bunch of floaters. And then with the Illini stepped up, um, Houston crashed the boards and had the ball at the rim. You know what I mean? Like it's guys beating guys off the dribble guys, hitting mid range floaters against um, a good defense. I Illinois wasn't a good defense, but against good teams in big moments in big games. So I think if he, readjusts how he recruits a little bit, gets a few more slashers. I think they'll be okay. Um, Melendez obviously is the guy that's shown the most hope there. Hoping he has just a massive um, next year. White, he'll be a sophomore, I think. Right. Um, and it, I loved watching him play when he got a little more, a little more run. I think if he, he has more guys like that, I think there's a little bit more hope for Illinois to play in more than one way rather than kind of how it ended. Also the victim of the worst technical foul call. Uh, that I've ever seen. Ricky, did you write that? Do you write that thing? That was I sure worst- did. Yeah. I, my, I'm no Illinois fan. My blood was boiling. <laughs> oh, I was pissed. Oh was man. Pissed. I, that was a crime against basketball. What a fucking joke. I was, I was watching it at brick house. Cause they had like an Illini watch party, you know? So you want to go and have your heart broken with a bunch of other <laughs> Illini <laughs> friends, rather than having it broken in your apartment and all by yourself, you know, crying yourself to sleep. So I mean, they were so fired up. Everyone was absolutely just livid over that. So hopefully that's fuel for next year because we can't have indignities. We need to get that rule changed. And I need him to dunk next year, do three pull-ups on the rim when the rule's abolished, and send Illinois to the Sweet 16. Can't get too far ahead of ourselves here and say Final Four yet. (laughs) Maybe a Sweet 16 appearance. Start with that. A few chin-ups from RJ um, dunking next year. Ricky, are you still on Oh, go ahead, Ricky. If they can do that next year, they are losing a lot of guys this year. Uh, oh, it's bad. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen with Kofi. And Kofi, it's like people, I, I don't, it just sort of depends on who you're talking to and what opinions you're seeing, right? But I feel like there's a lot of frustration with Kofi. Kofi is basically a guaranteed top five seed in the NCAA tournament just by himself. He's a regular season world beater. But he presents some issues uh, in the NCAA tournament when teams can scheme a little bit more. Uh, so I, I was going to ask, like, do you think it would be better for the program if he just moved on and like they, they try to just no. change up? No, okay, no, I don't think so. Because obviously, because, like, because like, right? I ultimately seven years in a row without making the tournament right. before he got there, and then right, they no. get there and they get a one seed and a four seed. Now I'm like, I think that potentially it could be more difficult to make a super deep NCAA tournament run, but like you don't just replace a guy like that with a comparable right. talent. Like yeah. yeah, if you can get a really good center who's also fast and can hedge ball screens, that could be a different story. But like those guys don't grow on trees and every single program in the country or all the power five ones, they are pretty much just as delusional as Illinois fans where they believe like we our God given right is to be in the elite eight. Well, <laughs> everyone thinks that. So it's really not. I mean, to Cody's point, though, I think ultimately the issue, and this kind of plays into it, was that Curbelo had, was his season was a yeah, disaster. I know you're a Curbelo guy, Ricky, but like the, the fact that the lack Tough of day. 
lack of pen- dribble penetration, lack of the ability to slash into the basket just killed him. Like, I feel like Curbelo and Kofi had really nice pick and roll like juice last year. Like Curbelo had a really nice freshman season. And then just the injury just totally nukes his season. Uh, he was benched in the second half. Uh, and their, their offense just was so one dimensional. It's like teams just load up on Kofi, double, triple team him, dare you to make three. So it's Kofi forced to Kofi or three pointer or bust. Trent Frazier falls apart. Plummer had some nice baskets in that first game, but they just say, yeah, no, like, offensive creativity talking about the creativity and just no juice off the dribble and that's what, like what they needed Curbelo my always always that my always outlook was that they had final four caliber talent if Curbelo like found, ever found himself and he never did and the offense just sucked predictably yeah. like down the street yeah, answer your last question like are they better without Kofi they might be better with Curbelo moving on it pains me to say that because Curbelo is such a beautiful artist he cannot be confined by things like the scoreboard and the rule book <laughs> But, you know, head or whatever gear you need to wear to the game or apparel yeah. that is going to get him riled up. Uh, but, you know, head trauma injury. So I don't want to, like, totally just shit on his performance. But he was rough this year. His, like, his, uh, you know, ratio of good plays, bad plays went from, like, 65-35 good to, like, 80-20 bad. And you just can't overcome that. Yeah, I mean, you get like the greatest pass of all time against, I think it was at Indiana, the Big Ten tournament. And then you get, uh, whatever, like six turnovers and like falling over all over the place <laughs> 75% of the time. Really rough, rough stuff. All right, we've gone, enough, we've gone long enough here rambling about this. I just wanted to get some Illinois in there after there's now that their season is over. Cody, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just tell our listeners, just plug yourself right now uh, for us. 670thescore.com. You can find all our... Bulls coverage. Um, and we talk a lot of bulls right now because look, they're good. They're sliding a little bit, but uh, I'm on every Tuesday at 1225 with Lawrence Holmes. Um, and we got plenty of other great bulls talk all day. So uh, tune in to the old 670 the score and the Odyssey app as well, where you can find 670 the score. Cody, awesome. thanks for all your time, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you yep. so much. Uh, that'll do it for me. us here at Cash Considerations. Uh, I guess looking forward, we got the Bulls uh, at Pelicans Thursday. I just saw that. De- I had just seen this like a few minutes ago that DeMar is questionable with a groin injury. Great. Uh, fantastic. That's not not obviously not great, but uh, hopefully he plays. Zach looked like it was probable. Uh, so hopefully all, both those guys will play the game. I mean, the Pelicans have been coming on a bit lately. They've been CJ McCollum's been awesome. I don't know if Brandon Ingram is back. Do you, any of you guys know that? I'm not I'm not totally sure if he's even playing, but game theoretically where you should win, but the Bulls have been really bad on the road. Uh, I tweeted that they're 5-14 and 14 in 2022 on the road. They've just been getting their ass beat. So hopefully with these winnable games coming up, you got Pelicans and you got big one in Cleveland on Saturday. Uh, hopefully, and then I think they play, was like the, I think it's Knicks Wizards back-to-back to wrap up that road trip Monday, Tuesday, next week. So some winnable road games coming up. Hopefully the Bulls can bounce back here. Uh, and grab a few wins, get to that 47-48 win mark that we said. So uh, that's what's coming up for the Bulls. Uh, as always, shout out to the Blue Wire Network. If you like what we're doing here at Cash, please go check out all the other great pods at uh, across the Blue Wire Network. For us here at Cash Considerations, at Chicago Bulls Podcast, please give us those five-star ratings, rate and review us. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Bulls underscore J. You can follow Ricky at SBN underscore Ricky. And then shout out to Fuzzgun for our intro for this season. Uh, go check out his SoundCloud. So it's been Jason and Ricky for Cast Considerations, AH Cowboys Podcast. And thank you again to Cody Westerland for joining us. We will talk to you guys next time. This is last year's Bulls. It's not last year's Bulls, ladies and gentlemen.